1: of the last felony, ion dissonance, and cryptopsy, there is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers!
0: Hello, 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 and welcome to today's program. I hope you're good. I hope everything's fine wherever this audio file is finding your ears. I'm uh, sounding a little bit weird probably because I'm kind of under the weather, but I'm on the mend. We're getting through it. And uh, should be in tip-top shape by by Christmas, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, things thing, things have been weird for the last couple days, but it is what it is. I won't trouble you with a too terribly long intro. I just want to say, today I'm talking to Daniel Donato. He's a guy I've been wanting to talk to for several years on the podcast, and a big shout-out to listener Blake Lawson for making this happen. He, he just had enough, and he... He sent us both a mutual DM and then here we are. We're recording a podcast. Next thing next thing I knew. No, it was it was great. Uh, Daniel and I had been talking about this for a while and that was just the push we needed to close the deal and get the get the thing in the can. So, yes, it's a great episode. If you don't know Daniel, hit up the Google machine and check him out. He posts a ton of content. There's tons of videos of, of him playing out there. He's an insane, super talented and just a uh, really unique style of player that you just don't—well, uh, I should say you don't see it every day. But I don't know if I've ever seen it. So make sure you check him out if you have not uh, familiarized yourself with any of his tunes. I think you will really dig it. I, yeah, I mean, it might make you quit guitar, but that's okay. That's all right. We got lots. We've had lots of guests on that make me want to quit guitar. But uh, no, he's—he's he's a super cool dude, and he has his own podcast. So he talks about that on there at the at the end and you'll want to hop over there and subscribe to that after you get done listening to this episode and what else what else what else oh yeah we did uh we did some more for patreon so if that's your thing for five dollars a month there's extra episodes over on patreon every week so you get one regular episode and one bonus episode over on patreon and it's just five dollars a month so if that's your thing go for it. And I really, really appreciate it. And if not, no worries. I totally get it. Just share this show with a friend, a coworker, a loved one, a fellow guitarist, somebody who you think might enjoy it. That's that's the most important thing that we can do to keep this thing going. So, All right. That's enough. I'm rambling. Let's just get into the show with Mr. Daniel Donato. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host Blake Wyland, and with me today I have none other than Daniel Donato. What's going on, oh, dude? Everything. 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 I wish
1: I could answer that in a simple way, but I, yeah.
0: I know that feeling. I promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to trying to go out of town today, but also you know wrangling. Black Friday stuff for a bunch of different folks, so that's that's always fun, but uh, so what's oh, going yeah. on in your world?
1: Man, so I'm home for the rest of the year. We did 158 days of travel, Whoa. and um, I'm about to cut, go cut live record with Robin Ford, <laughs> and <What>? uh, yeah, <laughs> he's starting a label.
0: Okay. Well, that isn't, that's not lame at all. That's amazing. Not
1: at all. <laughs> and um, it's kind of weird because it's going to be a no streaming label, which we ended up getting it worked out to where after a year of release, I can get the rights to release the streaming Mm -hmm. because I'm really adamant about not having any friction for fans to experience aside from whether they just like your art or not. But like in terms of them to like say, Hey, I want to check that out. That should be as easy as possible. But Robin has a really cool artistic vision uh, for and why he doesn't want to do it. And I, I love it. Um, But yeah, I'm doing that in a couple weeks, and then we're going to cut an actual studio record in the middle of January through the end of January between me going to Mexico and Nam.
0: Yeah, ooh, Nam, the good good old Nam. Hopefully I'll see you down there. Um, Yeah,
1: I'm just going for one day.
0: I've seen you down there multiple times, but I'm like, he's busy. I'm just gonna hang back. <laughs> oh wow! So oh, it's, wow, it's just like ah, uh, I'm like that. Like I don't envy you uh, at Nam. Oh you look, wow! You look very worked,
1: <laughs> dude. I've always envied the busy guy ever since I was young. I since I can remember being in first grade, huh? kindergarten. I would always have wanted to be like the busy person. I and I think it just comes down to personality, uh, uh, disposition. So yeah.
0: I mean, I like staying busy. I definitely don't like uh, d- having nothing to do, which that hasn't been a problem for many, many years. So I oh, guess. Oh, that's an illusion. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Uh, never I guess that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, at NAM, I, I, it's so busy already, but I've always, you know, I'm from a different planet than you are. It's like, I'm just like there to see people that I get to I'm really only there at NAMM like I'm gonna know about all the gear stuff already pretty much you know like we're the internet has kind of made that not as important as far as like a source of news but it's like all my people like all the people I talk to all year on the internet or on the phone all converge on this one conference and so it's like oh yes hello that's what it Mm -hmm. is for me but you are like Playing at booths, running around with cameras—like what your Nam experience seems vastly different than mine.
1: Yeah, it's pure content time at Nam. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just a pure landscape where everything can be shared with the world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, let's curiosity uh, with gear has. Uh, sorry, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, I was just going to say. No, go ahead and finish that thought, and then we'll we'll, dive, we'll my, dive back a little bit.
1: My curiosity with gear has dismally uh, declined. Um, as I get older. And um, I receive all the gear that I could ever ask for. And it's like, uh, I want less and less. And even the desire to like create new things, I, I feel less and less. So there is like that weird thing about Nam, where the whole point is the fa- fact that it's, it's for buyers and that there's new products and there's new innovations, which I'm always for innovation, always. Uh, but yeah, like to go find a new overdrive pedal, a new amp, I'm not into it really much anymore.
0: Yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. And it takes something kind of special for me to get excited about, I guess, the basics. You know, I kind of know, I know what I like for dirt pedals. I know what I like for amps. Uh, totally and 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 so it's it's kind of like i'm like i've got i've got i've got that covered i mean i still get excited about things because i'm just a hyper hyper gear need gear nerd but like (laughs) but but i can i can understand your 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 point where it's like i kind of like i got those bases covered but like when somebody comes out like i'm always salivating over like whatever chase bliss is doing or something like that because it's like that's gonna be new and like i've never heard it before type of thing that's well, what we all i all
1: can respect genius we all true. can really respect when someone actually innovates and that yes. is an innovative thinker
0: definitely and definitely yeah. and a sweetheart everybody loves joel
1: yes he's the man
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um well let's take a se- step back a little bit because uh this mm-hmm. was actually we I, I have some questions from the facebook group that we'll get into a little bit later but um if somebody um, good to uh, good uh, podcast supporter and good friend, Michael Freer in there. He, he mentioned like, he wasn't really that familiar with you and he was like, you tell me about him. And then I realized like, I just know Daniel from the internet. I don't actually know his story really at all. So I just know Mm -hmm. that you like you shred online and make awesome content and obviously playing, you know, you make records and play shows and all that. I know that, but like, how did you get there? I know you started really well, young, so let's let's start from uh, when you picked up the guitar.
1: Picked up guitar at 12 after uh, becoming obsessed with, with Guitar Hero, being a bad skateboarder. And um, I was naturally good at Guitar Hero, which in no way entails that you're going to be naturally a naturally good guitar player. But <laughs> I just loved the idea of the instrument. And my dad always played and always tried to get me to play, but I hated it. Uh, right up until that point in my life. And... uh I, I fell in love with it one day. I heard Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. And uh, I something in me was ostentatious enough to be like, I can play that. <laughs> and I've never had that thought before. So it, it goes down to the power of thoughts, I guess, because th- that's what started all this was me thinking I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I started that and I instantly became obsessed with guitar. Uh, I liked being bad at it. And I liked the process of getting good at it And my brain, naturally worked with the way that the instrument is laid out. And um, just everything about it was the right fit for this specific person. Um, That was 12. Uh, So I work on Hendrix, I work on Led Zeppelin, I do some guitar lessons in this time. And then two years later, my dad, comes to me right after I finished eighth grade and was about to start summer vacation going into high school. And he thought it'd be a good idea for me to maybe find a job or, or do something. And he had the idea to take, take a, my Taylor 114 CE down to Broadway and uh lower Broadway in Nashville, Tennessee, which is the main tourist strip where all the bars are and busk on the street. And, uh, I wasn't opposed to it, but I certainly wasn't very excited about it. And I remember getting down there and just kind of losing my mind. I loved playing for people. Uh, It it was a a crazy situation to play music for people in real time. I'd never really done that before. Um, The same day that we went down there was the first time I ever played on stage too. Oh, Um, wow. We walked into a bar, Legends Corner, Nashville, Tennessee is the first bar.
0: I know it. If you, I know it. I've been, yeah. been down there many times. Yes.
1: That's the first stage, Daniel Donato, played on. Wow. That's, that's so cool to me. Uh, non-egotistically, but it is because like, you know, like uh, I went down there the other day and someone was covering one of my songs.
0: Oh, wow. That's got to be kind so, of a, mean, a trip to hear something like that.
1: It's extremely crazy of no one in the bar knew it but
0: but that's fine (laughs) right we have
1: time yeah we'll get i walked into that bar and uh there's an artist named jason link playing and jason link was about to go past the tip jug which is a a tradition willie nelson started and um the bass player randy hall as i walked in and as they're about to take a set break on the microphone he he says to me out loud you look like a guitar player and (laughs) I didn't have, a, it was very, uh, very serendipitous. And I, I said, uh, hell yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, why don't, y'all, why don't you come up here and play? And uh, I said, I, I only know a couple songs. He said, that's fine. We'll just have fun. And we did. We just improvised. And it was the first time I ever played a Telecaster. And it was the first time I ever played a tube amp. So, I mean, this was a big day for me. Wow. First time I played in front of the people. First time I played on stage. Um,
0: You're 13 at this life Is that right? Huh? you're 13 at this time is that am i, I doing was this time 14, 14, 14 gotcha okay
1: yeah so about 10 years ago wow
0: yeah. that is a big day i didn't i <laughs> i don't i don't know if very many people have all of those experiences wrapped up into one into one uh you know, day. one day yeah that's that's pretty i mean a tube amp, i think everybody's first tube amp at least for players like the everyone that listens to this show is kind of a big deal like it it, for me it would totally change the game i plugged into like i think it was an orange tiny terror was the very first one i ever really sat down with and it was like oh no what have i been missing you know and that's not even like the top of the heap right that's it's a good amp it's a very good amp but orange makes orange makes some even cooler amps but it's just it's Mm -hmm. just like it's like that was Mm -hmm. very eye-opening but like man i can't imagine having done that on stage in front of people do you remember what song you played
1: yeah, we played uh old time rock and roll, Bob Seger. Classic. And then uh then we just did blues and A. I think we did Red House. Nice. I think we did Red House, yeah. Nice. And uh man, it was great. It was. I and I I was uh electrified. I remember getting off stage and having the thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do for the next. It was such a weird thought for a 14-year-old to have. But I remember saying to myself for the at least for the next 20 years I'm going to do this as much as i can like that thought just was placed in my head and uh i'm still snowballing off that same energy like still um as we speak you know even before this podcast today like uh that's all i do really with my life is just music right Mm -hmm. now like that's it um it's it's very strange not being on the road and, and and seeing how that manifests too Um, but yeah, that's where it started. I started, we started, End up going down every Saturday and I would get down there around 10 a.m. I would make my rounds and I'd sit in with that band every Saturday and, um, I would busk on the street for about eight hours and then I would go to a bar, uh, that would, that would let me in. One day it happened to be a place called Robert's Western World and there was a band called the don kelly band yes Mm -hmm. it is a legendary place and there was a legendary band playing they the band that has been there since a year after i was born on the same days every week never missing a week uh literally never has missed a, a full week since 96 don kelly um miraculous band leader uh very uh bad boss but a great guy that that runs his own business uh and I learned a lot from him. I eventually got to work with him. I, I saw this band that, that day, and it changed my life. I, I, it was the first time I'd ever seen a guitar player up close who really had a lot to say. And it was uh, J.D. Simo playing in the band. Are you familiar with J.D.?
0: I'm not, unfortunately.
1: Oh, my God. So, yeah, I can't go on at all without mentioning the fact that J.D. was my first big hero, um, my first influence there's a video of me on YouTube from that day when I walked in there and saw them the first time. And uh, you can literally see me bawling in tears about 10 feet away from the stage as he's playing a solo. And uh, it, it just changed my entire being and it made me want to be him. And uh, I went and saw them every week for about three years and I would give them my business card every week and told them if JD can't make it, I know all 85 to 100 songs that oh, you guys
0: wow. did, Wow. And I did.
1: I, I, and I still do. Because <laughs> I ended up getting to play the gig 464 times. um,
0: Which That's was incredible. an
1: immense learning experience. We'd play for four hours each night. We would do two 15-minute breaks and then one 20-minute break. And um, so, I mean, that changed my life. But I got to see them every week. I'd go and in, 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 in see them that's how i got into country music was through that scene downtown on broadway and uh i got to play in that band and that's how anyone in town who knows me came to know me and yeah i think that that's pretty good summary i stopped playing down there when i was in 2015 and um i went and started touring on the road at that point and i was 20 years old turned 21 on the road and i've been doing that ever since
0: that's that's really funny. This uh, the summary. This makes a lot of sense now. So I was trying to think. So my well, not my first time in Nashville, but my first time as an adult in Nashville uh, was 2015, I believe, or so. Wow. And and uh, maybe maybe 2016. I can't remember the timeline exactly. But my introduction to you was strangely through uh, Brian Wampler's Chasing Tone podcast when they had the old hosts on. Um, they were talking about you playing at Robert's and I looked up some YouTube videos and I'm like, oh man, this dude is killer. And so yeah. I remember going down there with my family and I was like, I really want to go to Robert's and try to catch Daniel playing, not realizing until we gotten there that you weren't playing there anymore. I um, uh, Yeah, I was, I was fired. It, oh, well that's, you want to get into that at all or no? <laughs>
1: sure, yeah.
0: Let's talk I about was, that. Uh,
1: there is someone who worked there that was doing they were doing drugs out behind the bar one oh. night and um, I they were doing like hard drugs and mm-hmm. uh, someone thought it was me. Oh, <laughs> and uh, it even came down to the point to where the guy who did the drugs, it confessed and everything. And, uh, but I basically, it was a Friday night and um, it was around, we would play from six to 10 Mm -hmm. and it was around 11 30 when this happened and i was already gone and uh i wasn't even i was i was already home and uh i woke up the next morning and i got a call from my boss don that i was let go and there's nothing i can do because they don't do uh, the there's no contracts down there and the union doesn't do really anything whatsoever for broadway musicians Hmm. um
0: that's been my experience with unions as well but that's another that's a topic for another I think day it's
1: going to become an, well It it's indeed it's something that needs to be discussed in some light because uh it's not good when there's so much there's so many players who will do so little that hurts everybody right when you so our base pay was 30 dollars for four hours
0: what whoa uh,
1: whoa i mean what? that's insane like that's absolutely insane, but you got to keep 100% of your tips is their qualm. And that makes sense. Okay. But it's like, there's just not like, there's no job security. Like you can just wake up that day and get fired. And that's the nature of the game being this kind of being a hired gun. That is the nature of the deal. So you got to know that. But it's, it's a weird thing to, to learn that too. You, it's one thing to know it, but then it's a thing to learn it. You know what I mean? I do. Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around
0: the the guy confessed, but you still got fired. I can't, I can't quite figure that
1: out. He ended up confessing weeks later. It got to the point to where I was, I, they said the security camera saw you and, I know Roberts they don't have any security cameras out back (laughs) and I I told them that I know they don't (laughs) do
0: I can tell they don't Uh (laughs) you just walk down that alley you can you can tell there's no cameras back there it's fine
1: there's not uh that alley is historical it is and now that now that there's been a bunch of uh time in between that that's also the alley where Hank Williams got thrown out of the Ryman
0: yes yeah that's
1: you know what I mean and that's the alley that Jimi Hendrix used to walk through to get to Printer's Alley.
0: And I, I always and, make a point to go to get, just to go down it, it even though it's kind of gross. I always make a point disgusting. to to go to walk down it because it's like this is a special, weird, gross place. <laughs> it just That's, is.
1: My story, my my chapter with that band ending in that alley, uh, is just a part of that alley's history, and right. it will come to be, you know. In, in years from now, and it'll be a famous part of what Roberts is known for, the fact that I played there. And people still come there all the time to try to see me mm-hmm. uh, and call all the time. And uh, it's cool that my legacy lives on there because that was my brainchild was that band. It was my, when I was uh, doing it, I was doing homework in between songs. Like it was, it was my absolute point of, of obsession and fulfillment. So was it was it, a great time to have been with that band.
0: Was it strange being that young playing in a band, a bar band? I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's like, it's a bar. That's what it is. People are there drinking and partying. It was, was it strange to be that young and like seeing adults behaving like morons and, and
1: wondering like, yeah.
0: like, is this it what adulthood is?
1: Really a is? It's a funny way to learn because you're also playing with people who are much older than you. Right, right. And that's really a great way to get into music is to kind of uh, always be humbled by your lack of experience and just trust whoever you're with. And uh, every band I had played in down there mostly was really incredible, really great players who had been playing for years and had huge gigs. And they uh, either played on Broadway when they weren't touring or they played on Broadway full-time because their gigs ended. So you get to learn the realities of the of the hired gun world which is a lot sometimes dismal right sometimes really incredible and fulfilling just like any occupation but to be exposed to the realities as a as at at a real level uh unbelievable time also yeah seeing people act ridiculous (laughs) so many terrible funny things that like i it's definitely helped me because i don't have any substance issues like i don't have anything that i don't have any chains and i think that 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 experience really helped me with that um if if i had any it doesn't run in my family at all but i it definitely took away desire if there ever was one to see people kind of self-destruct on a daily basis.
0: Right. It's just, it's it's a strange experience. I I, I can't imagine that like cuz you know, I didn't I didn't see people behaving that way until I was much older, you know, as most people don't. You know, obviously there was people who did dumb things in high school and whatever, but it's different it's just different when you see adults behaving that way as a child. And it's not something I had and you know, obviously you had you were a much more mature child than I was, you know, I guess not child. You're a teenager. That's probably not the right word for it, but like, mm-hmm. you know, underage regardless. Right. It's different when you yeah. see 40 year olds, like 40 year olds act like this. It's like, what is oh, going man. on right now? Like, why are you, yeah. you're supposed to be an adult. <laughs> it's just yeah. Strange, strange, strange. Um, hmm. so let's, uh, Let's sidestep things a little bit. Let's uh, sure. let's talk about the gear. So the first time you played a Telecaster was obviously transformative. Yeah. That kind of has become your,
1: your champ one hundred.
0: Uh, uh, all right, there you go. So that becomes kind of a transformative experience. That's like what you're known for is that's your that's like your weapon. What do you what do you love about the Telecaster? Yeah, so I put much? out
1: a book called New Master the Telecaster.
0: Oh, you did. I well, yeah. Okay. When
1: I was eighteen,
0: I'm behind the times. I did not know that.
1: <clears throat> that's all good. They still sell it. it it's a it, it's a great book, um. But the telly is the thing for me. Yeah, that's my voice. Yeah.
0: It's it's it. Uh, now, is there a particular like? It seems like you tend to prefer the traditional style tellys, but maybe you can get into the details behind uh, some of your favorites specifically. Somebody in the Facebook yeah. group was asking about your Surf Green telly. That was a uh, yeah. Uh, Matt Kimes was asking about uh, what model right is his Surf Green telly? There you go.
1: What model is a 62 Journeyman, a uh, Custom Shop. And um I got it when it was brand new. Um a guy named Robert Knight got it for me from Guitar Center. I think he bought it for me or he got Guitar Center and gave it to me. And um I got it after I had already built a guitar with my dad that looked like that guitar cuz that guitar had been at Guitar Center for years and I'd go and play it every week. I loved this specific guitar. And uh, it was in the vintage room. And Tony, who works still there. He's the man, would always let me play it. And uh, I'd put it back and he knew I was never going to buy it. But he'd still polish it off for me and give it to me, let me play it, plug it in. And uh, so much so I loved the guitar. I built one that looked like it prior because I couldn't afford it. Got the guitar and it's been my main guitar ever since. I like, uh, and that's that's really the story of that guitar. I, I change out some of the stuff on it. Like I use Glendale Bridges. Mm-hmm. And um, so I do a double wall cut on it. So it's a little more efficient in terms of the the dynamic range that you can get out of the um, picking right near on the bridge. So you get that Don Rich Bakersfield country sound, or you can get um, your, your standard Tele sound where you're right above the bridge pickup because that's quite a vast different sound. Oh, yes. Um, I do that. And then uh, I have some pickups that Seymour Duncan himself made for me. Uh, It's just like a one-off pair that I've had in there for, I think two years now that are just like, uh, they're the best ones I've ever had. And uh, that's it on that guitar. It's really just, it was, I've always wanted to have the guitar that the guitar players, that guitar players have. Sorry for that noise if that came through. Um, So I remember seeing it live at El Combo in the basement at my old house in new jersey before we moved to Nashville, my dad would play it all the time and i was maybe four four or five years old at this point i remember thinking even that was like what is that instrument right like that what is that thing it just had a a attraction to it and same with Slash's les paul like especially the one he played at madison Square garden with michael jackson it's like all these guitar players have their one guitar and i wanted that guitar and something in me, uh, I was resided. I resided to the fact that that telly was going to be that guitar for me. When I saw it the first time, I just knew it. And uh, I think we're at how many years later? We're we're approaching. We're we're approaching seven years now, eight years now with that guitar. Yeah. Uh,
0: and and it's lots my of lots of dates and lots of albums, lots of notes played on that particular oh, instrument. It, That's amazing. Yeah,
1: man lot of people inspired too you know what i mean it's like uh the cosmic country mission a lot of people are um they're hopping behind that now on social media and that guitar is the start of it uh crucially instrumentally <laughs> But <laughs> I, the why i love tellies in a traditional way because i don't see why you would try to upgrade a telly when you can just go get a guitar that w- was designed for modern efficiency that right. guitar was designed for to sat that guitar was designed to satisfy the needs of the times uh in a really efficient way a simple american cheap way mm-hmm. and that's cool and i don't i don't really find much efficiency in in modifying it the acoustic sonic telecaster is marvelous um I can't Evolution. believe how
0: much I liked those. I was I seen those come out and I was like, "Boo! That looked. That's not going to be yeah. cool." And I played one. I was like, "Oh, I was wrong. I was I'm I'm eating crow on this one." I I even publicly was like, that's dumb." Yeah, those things are Funny. so cool. So cool. Ugh, it's Tim so wrong.
1: and everyone in the Nashville team, as well as the as well as the the team that's not Nashville based. Um, there's some real inspired people who work at Fender. And Fender does a great job at curating great minds. Um, and man, that guitar is an absolute great example of such a thing. But I, I would rather get a PRS or, or honestly, like a Music Man guitar. Those two brands, um, oh my God, those are the most efficient modern guitars. And so I pretty much, and D'Angelico, they make great guitars as well. But in terms of like efficiency, um, the Tele is not an efficient guitar. No. And it, it should not be really. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I reside with that vintage style, as you had mentioned.
0: Gotcha. Speaking of the music, man, uh, Coach Schneider was asking about that Albert Lee signature you had a while back. Kind of what what ended up happening with that thing?
1: I still have it. Um, We're talking about like a macro plan uh, to do a signature model one day.
0: Gotcha. So whenever
1: the, the desire is there and it could be a lucrative endeavor, then we would do it. And so that was me just brainstorming out loud with a guitar and they built it for me. And it's basically, a it's a, an attempt to get the Bob Weir multifaceted, multifaceted, uh, pickup selector, not by toggle switch, but by app like knob per pickup. You turn pickups on and off. Right. So you have the ability to, to essentially turn on all three. Uh, that's the thing and it also the design what, we put all the we put three single coils really close to each other. So it emulates the sustain and the sound of a pedal steel. and that also gives you more real estate between the neck and the neck pickup itself. and that is the direct throaty vocal like range on the guitar. If you ever pick up there, you can hear that. And that's exactly what a pedal steel always is doing. Uh, hence the signature sounds on it. And so I was trying to emulate that as well. Uh, Jerry Garcia was a pedal steel player. And pedal steel, Robert's Western World was, before it was a bar, built pedal steels. And it was actually the room where Willie Nelson bought Trigger in, his famous nylon string Martin. Oh, wow. String.
0: I didn't he know bought that. bought it in that room. Whoa.
1: Um. So... Pedal steel has always been near and dear to me. And so I've always been trying to chase that. All of my intuitions on the guitar are likened to a pedal steel in terms of what I hear tonally, what I like sustain-wise, what I like amp-wise. If if I were to be a baseball card in some sense and you could look at my stats, the numbers might add up to pedal steel in some ways. Um, So that's what that guitar was. It was just trying to uh, get closer to that vision that sound and we're, we're really nailing it i think we're three guitars in right now and it's we're really getting close uh that whole team those are some geniuses at music man absolute geniuses
0: um so let me mm-hmm. let me ask you this there's mm-hmm. some more questions in here sorry my uh Please. my screen went dumb all of a sudden and i can't see my group anymore mm-hmm. but we'll get to that anyway but i do want to talk about uh you the grateful dead influence because the the whole, the hashtag, you know, cosmic country and all that stuff. It's a very unique vibe that you've put out there. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard, you know, even, even beyond like the way you're playing the tones that you set up and dial in the way you use effects and everything yeah. for that yeah. sound is really, really unique. And I, you know, Thank you. knowing your influences of like the dead and country players, it seems like a logical kind of direction. So where did The Dead come in for you? Like, when did that become a big part of your thing?
1: The Dead was always in my life. My, uh, my uncle and my mom followed The Dead for a while, and they always played the music. And my dad gave me two CDs when I first started. He gave me the Led Zeppelin box set, so I guess that's multiple CDs. And then he gave me American Beauty. And I always loved it, but I didn't know who The Dead were and what The Dead was. And what the dead is and what it will be. And it's like, I just love that record. And that's also kind of not who they are in some way for every for anyone who's steeped into the culture of what of Grateful Dead. That record is a great point of entry, though. Uh how it started happening for me, this it was right after I started driving. I was 16. That's how you have old you have to be to drive on your own here in Nashville. And uh a history teacher of mine, I guess, came and saw me at my show at Roberts the night before. Didn't tell me. And uh, after class is over, he asked me to stay after class, Mister Ragland. And uh,
0: were you thinking, uh oh?
1: I was, uh, yeah, I was, because he was a—he's a very great teacher, and he knows how to control a room and uh, have dominance over his audience. Which, and you know, I—I I learned a lot about how to. Uh, command myself and, and how to h- hold myself on stage from him actually uh, but that's that's the slide from the point he kept me after class and he goes i need you to take these binders and never bring them back <laughs> what binders and then he pulls three binders out of his out of his desk and they're all grateful dead cds live oh, Wow! and it was his entire physical collection of cds because he had put them all on his hard drive and he goes, he goes, you can't ever bring these back to me. You need to keep these forever. <laughs> and so I kept the binders in my car uh, until I ended up getting a new car. Uh, and I still have the CDs. And I've, I listened to Only the Dead from, for years, from like 16 to 18. That's all I listened to. Um, I would. I, I remember it was Dick's Picks Volume 5 was the first live recording I'd ever heard. And they did Big River. They did El Paso, Uh, Sugaree. Uh, I, it was insane. Uh, but I guess that was a nice serendipitous thing that had to be. Was him giving me that, that collection of music. He never said why, which was very strange. And I've asked him since. I, I I can't get him to respond. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> that is
0: that's interesting. Yeah, that's he, knew he knew it was going to be important though somehow. Like, I did,
1: man. Yeah. I guess he did too. Not sure.
0: That's that's really interesting. So. When we're talking about getting that, you know, that cosmic country tone, what, what is your rig, you know, generally looking like? Obviously Telecaster, obviously fairly clean amp, mm-hmm. but what about your effects?
1: I have a signature compressor with Keeley Electronics. Um, acts as a limiter. Uh, that's crucial. A phaser, a slapback. Those are the sounds mm-hmm. that you would need for the tone, for the country tone. But then it's also a lot of... Uh, Different kinds of reverbs. I use four different reverbs each night and then I'll use three different delays. Uh so I love covering ground in the uh spacey sense. Yeah. That's a big deal. Right. Um
0: filling the absolute.
1: space. Filling right, totally. Um it's not so much a southern rock sound. So I, I I do indulge in a lot of overdrives, but it's usually natural overdrive. Um but yeah, those are the those are the main lighthouses in terms of the sounds. It's going to be a phaser. Waylon Jennings inspired. It's going to be reverb. I like to look at reverb in terms of how young and how old it feels. So there's newer reverbs, the shimmer. Uh, that's a big one for me. I use variations on that. I use the Keeley caverns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I use an H nine for satisfy any more abstract reverb sounds. And then, uh, phase 95 for my phaser uh we're working on doing a a a custom cosmic phaser though with keely right now too and um yeah those are the main things really heavy compression that's that's a big influence from brent mason on those 90s records that he played on of course Uh, of course but it's got to be a fender amp or a fender style amp at least for me it's just like the best amp ever
0: do you have a preference on which which Fender style you have, Princeton or more a Deluxe I reverb? Like a pro reverb?
1: I don't pro like reverb. a Princeton Live. I like when Kenny Vaughn uses the Princeton Live and Marty Stewart does. It doesn't work for me though. Um, and this is the part of myself that is very strange where I have to compromise with myself because there's things I want on stage, but then there's things that I simply just do on stage and like certain pieces of gear won't jive with what I do on stage. And I so like i'll try i'll find myself like getting an amp and trying to force that into my live rig when it simply doesn't work because i this who i am on stage and how i play to, to feel fulfilled with my playing i need to get a certain thing out of out of what the tools i'm using and um it ends up being a fender pro reverb but right now i've been using an amp uh made by elliott guitars um that amp is insane it's pretty much the best amp aside from my pro reverb that i've ever owned um it's I, absolutely ridiculous i think it's adam childers is his name arch Childers. um he built that and designed that cool. amp and it's uh absolutely insane
0: what uh, what are amp. the specs on it
1: well right now it's a simple it's a simple one knobby EQ, just is tone which mm-hmm. we're gonna i want to work on i want to i want to go fender style at least do bass and treble if not uh, if if not a middle, uh, like they did it getting into the seventies, and um, that is really it. But what it is is a basement up front and in the back end of the wiring, it's like a plexi, Ooh. which I didn't know until I got the amp. Um, but I could swear it doesn't feel like that at all because I've never really liked Marshall amps. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if they just missed it or maybe it's just my perception, but it, it just reacts like a fender amp. You hear John Mayer talk about an amp reacting and, and then you hear Paul Reed Smith. And I just asked Paul this the other day. It was like, it's basically the, what is the, what is the natural compression of the amplifier? And that varies from build to build. Um, so I'm thinking that it compresses like a fender, which is, I think that's the thing that I love is the way that a fender reacts i.e. the way it compresses that, that
0: that's what i like about fender amps too i i didn't think that i really liked Marshalls. i had this like perception in my head i think i think everybody just kind of thinks like oh acdc you know like that's just like what everybody immediately goes to in my head and i was guilty of that for a really long time but i i played some older Marshalls uh here in the last couple of years that have really changed <laughs> my mind about what mm-hmm. what a marshall supposed to to feel like and sound like and mm-hmm. uh and i think you might be experiencing some of that too it's just like oh wait if i don't max the gain out on this and just like turn the master volume all the way up if they have one uh if you can kind of get that fender thing out of them in some ways because you know marshall's original designs were were pulled from yes. the basement So yes, indeed, I think that's I think there's some there's some similar heritage in there. I don't know. Uh, I'm a I'm good friends with Chris over at Benson Amps, and uh, those have been my go to for a million years. And everyone on this show knows that. But like Mm -hmm. he's probably rolling his eyes right now at whatever I'm saying. because I'm probably saying it wrong because it's what I do. You know, I'm just some Mm -hmm. bonehead on the Internet. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, it is. You're right. It's the way the amp reacts. It really I mean, it's it's got to sound good right it, and most amps can sound good they, they can sound mm-hmm. acceptable but it's all in the how it, how it reacts to your playing and that's why i'm just not i've never been big on the modeling thing as good as it's gotten it's gotten it's super impressive it's just yeah. doesn't excite me i don't get i don't i don't salivate over modelers the way some people do what do you, what do you think about all that
1: i think it's great i think it's a i absolutely a beautiful thing um my father um got into IT uh, right when he married my mom and so he's uh he's oh, and he, he's an extremely diligent hard worker which is where I get my work ethic from but he's always enabled the perspective in my life that technology is a good thing and that you should always at least know what's going on whether you agree or not you need to divorce yourself from the reality um, from the personal I don't like this. I do like this. You need to just take in what the landscape is because odds are the masses will always move towards technology because technology makes things easier and faster and more efficient, um, generally speaking. <laughs> right. So with guitar, we're experiencing that in real time um, in the engineering of the instruments. We see that with Music Man. We see that with, you know, also with Fender. We see that with the Sonic. But it is a weird thing. It's kind of going for... They're kind of kicking you in a bad spot when the profiling thing is getting as big as it is cuz it feels weird. Um it's a weird different thing and I I don't uh, playing wise that's again highlighting the there's a guy in me when I'm on stage that's very intuitive and he's very caveman and he does not like the profiler. <laughs> he doesn't like modeling. Um but the thinker in me does. Uh so I just got a helix coming in the mail. Um, I'm going to experiment with that and see what the deal is there. So I'm moving into the space, but whether it makes it, but that's fine if it doesn't make it out into its live thing, because live shows aren't just for you. Those are for the audience too. And my fan base does not want to see me playing any of that. So that's Probably
0: not. Yeah, probably not.
1: You know what I mean? And so (laughs) I'm going to be thoughtful and think of them. Like that's why I play that one telly so much is so people can associate it with me. And they can, it can be that, it might be the guitar that makes a kid want to get that guitar one day. Um, there's, I would love to play different guitars a, a often because the telly does get to be just a telly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it is just that sound. Uh, it's Heinz 57, and ketchup doesn't go well with everything. <laughs> but that's, it does with most that's, things.
0: That's true. <laughs> that's a that's a good analogy. I like that. It's interesting that you're thinking about your fans on, on that level. But I think it's because a lot of your fans – are guitar players and are gear nerds oh, yeah, you know it's oh yeah it's only right now yeah it's a i mean <laughs> i'm sure you're gonna break out of that to some degree at some point but yeah everyone everyone that i know that knows who you are and is a fan of you is also a guitar player so that that oh, yeah. makes a lot of that. sense
1: that's crazy too it's like i meet a lot of players that that get down on that and they wish there was a different demographic involved in their fan base but it's like the fact that uh you can you can what Steve Vai said he loved about the guitar the most is that you can wake up one day not do something not have the ability to do it practice and then have the ability to do it and of course that's duh but it's very there's genius to be found in the simplistic nature of things and that's a great observation and it's like um the fact that I can have other guitar players dig what I do I mean come on that's insane yeah, that's absolutely crazy, cool. so i'm I'm humbled that anyone even knows me. So I want to thank everyone on the Facebook group too and and you and anyone who's uh, been cool along the way, staying cosmic
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, man. So I would probably be in trouble if I didn't uh, I didn't ask you this question. So f- yeah. for those of us who are not as good naturally as you. Um, what do you, what do you recommend for like exercises? Where would you point people to for, you know, increasing their skill level a little bit? You know, if there's some videos online that you like, or, or there are certain, certain programs that you, you yourself went through that you could suggest to others. Cause I, for one love country music. I listen to it all the time. I grew up listening to it and I play, but I, you know, my, when I really came into music, punk rock was my thing. So of course everything's oh. just slashy, messy, blah, whenever I play, but I would love to be able to do, you know, more traditional country licks and, and things like where, what kind of resources do you, can you point people to for some of that? And this is an entirely selfish question for me.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, uh, my natural gift on the guitar came from the way that my brain worked with organizing goals. Um, I really am a firm believer that uh, you can just really just put in the hours and you will get it. Um, There probably are some ceilings though, that some people hit and others that don't just with anything. I was a terrible skateboarder. I just wasn't going to be good because I didn't have it in me to be good. And that was, that's fine. Like you got to realize that early on. So you can find the thing that you do have it in you to be good at, because you do have something. Um, that's aside the point. I would. Uh, I, I'm a very big believer in practicing non creatively and then practicing creatively. So essentially splitting the psyche down the left brain and right brain, um, because that's both levels are are fully functioning when you're creating music either in the studio or live, whatever. Um, so I like to practice to facilitate my muscles. And my ability. That's non-creative practice. And then all of that only enables the muse that's internal for me to convey what I'm saying in my mind through a speaker, through a PA, into someone's Instagram story. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like so, so that's what that all is. That and that's all creative work. So I practice with both minds. Uh the left Brain, I like to do just what I equivalate, uh, I, I, I equal it, liken it to just doing pull ups, doing push ups. Every day I just do some form of a scale. Um, an early mentor of mine, Tim McDonald, uh, genius music, musician, genius, absolute genius, wildly inspired creative guy. He practices a key a month, 12 months, 12 keys. Look at that. And so I always practice uh, everything in all keys. That's a big thing for me. So he, that was the thing, like he always said, you, you don't really know something on the guitar or in any instrument until you know it in all keys. And I, I really believe that. I've seen that play off very well for me in long-term now that I've been practicing it for many years. Um, so I would think that that's something everybody could always get stronger at is playing in all keys. Um, just running, running scales and, and, and setting actual times to do it, five minutes per pattern, 25 minutes total. Five minute, you know, five minutes for one pentatonic pattern. So you, you do that for five. Um, the biggest thing about country that I even like wrote Brad Paisley a letter to his agency, which we're now in the same agency. We actually haven't even have one of the same agents, but it's like this was years ago when the play album came out, and I I tried to get like nobody could tell me what the country guitar scale was. Like no one really knew. They were just showing me these cheesy licks that that sounded like kfc which is <laughs> bad <laughs> and uh basically what, and it's also a big part of what my book is about i distilled it down very simply that we get into rock and blues often point of entry and that's very much so minor pentatonic based the country is a, a great assimilation about 45 percent major 45 percent minor pentatonic and then a of remo- a remaining 10% of just isms, country isms, stylistic uh, notions. Um, but basically, the way my brain works is I, I like to look at the the I, I use this term proximity pentatonics, which for any pentatonic position that you're playing in, whether it's minor or major, the converse, the relative uh, is laying directly on top of it. Uh, so I would suggest everybody practice that that was something I practiced for years. And that was the thing that gave my biggest breakthrough. Uh, really knowing all five patterns, each note on each string for both minor, both major. Uh, that's big. So that that's envisioning your, your, your pathways and that's being able to see what your options are in terms of improvising. Um, you want to be able to know that on a really high level of a technical understanding of it. So again, non-creative practice, just run the scales every day. I like to go up minor, down major. So I'll like run up minor pentatonic position one, run down major pentatonic position two, which happens to be the position that lays over it. Practice that non-creatively, just know the rule book, just get to know all the patterns, then practice it creatively. Turn on a song, say Franklin's Tower by the Grateful Dead and just play in that song in that one pattern, improvise just in that one pattern and then improvise in the second pattern. And then eventually you're improvising across the whole neck. that's a big thing, um, knowing your scales is what all that boils down to, but a, a detailed explanation thereof. Um, and then having a practicing technical, like motor skills, like practicing very fast. I like to do that as well. A technique that I've always liked was, I like to start off with my threshold for the day. So that varies from day to day. And then like, I'll just run a scale for maybe like two minutes, and then I bump up the tempo five BPM and then I run it to where it's messy and then I bring it down three. And so now all of a sudden we're getting m- micro improvements of two beats per minute, uh, very often. And that's a great way to get faster. Being fast on the guitar is simply maintaining the oil often. That's all that is to me. And I think that's true. I've talked I've spoken to a lot of fast, great players in that light. Bonamassa says it too. It's just about like how often are you playing fast. It <laughs> really is it. Um And it's crazy. Like I can't stress like knowing the pentatonics, like everyone I give guitar lessons to, I can count on my left hand, people who knew it to the degree that I'm comfortable with it. And it's like, and I'm not suggesting that I have any uh, incapable understanding of the unachievable. It's very simple. It's just a matter of really knowing it. I can't stress that to everybody enough. It's like, literally just know your numbers, know your scale tones and know your scales, just know your numbers. Um, It always pays off. Uh, I hope that helps. I also am a big fan now. I think I think we're in a weird time now where there's more information and inspiration than ever. And it's easy to get detoured. It's easy to kind of be overwhelmed with things to learn and things to listen to. I'm a big fan of the external brain, which is something that a guy named David Allen uh, brought light to and branded himself. And it's basically, it's like your consciousness, <clears throat> your, uh your operating consciousness that that has your short-term goals and, and memories, everything that's happening today, it doesn't really have a strong sense of space and time. So if you keep all these goals and ideas and things you want to do in your head, it kind of just starts to look like a messy desktop screen. And your mind starts to think that you should be doing these things all the time. And I, can, I found myself years ago getting uninspired because I felt guilty because I had all these things I wanted to learn. I want to learn modes. I want to learn the diminished scale. I want to learn that Steve Ray Vong song. Um, I'm a big fan of if you find anything, that is a goal of yours is to write it down and keep it stored, not in your brain. And I I use an app that I literally just copy Instagram links, I'll see like someone doing some cool major seven R&B style chords. And it's if it's if I don't have the time to learn it right now, then I save it for later. And Why I wouldn't have the time to learn it for right now is because I always sit down with an intention before I practice. Steve Aoki talks about that. He doesn't go into the studio unless he has a a goal in mind. Um, So even if I'm sitting down just to practice 25 minutes non-creatively, I'm gonna tell myself that that's the goal. If I'm gonna, if I have four hours that I'm gonna practice uh, creatively, then that's the goal. And I'll I'll even get more specific in that when, when I'm actually like divvying up the time. I used to practice, uh, 12 hours a day. Um, and I had routines. It wasn't just a scattered me just exploring for 12 hours. It was all routine based. So I think that's a really, really big deal. Always having a goal. Um, that was a long answer.
0: (laughs) I really like that you said all that stuff because it makes me feel a little bit better. Um, Cause like a lot of, you know, like you said, you're very naturally talented at it. You talked about, we talked about it a little bit in the Thanks. earlier in the podcast, but I love that you just said that you've, you, there was times that you practiced 12 hours a day because now I'm like, okay, well, I don't do that. And that, yeah. that is, that is a you big,
1: gotta, <laughs> that is a big out.
0: part of the reason why, you know, like, yes, you have natural abilities at it, but also I'm not putting in that natural kind of time. Drive. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah, Mostly most well, I'm not aren't. doing
1: that now either yeah
0: i don't have to
1: now (laughs) uh, well you know there's a weird part of me though ego wise that 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 14 year old daniel is still very 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 much alive at least internally in me and um i i feel guilty at times for not being able to practice as much as i feel i ought to but my responsibilities and goals and visions have simply shifted to a different scale as they should as you get older you learn more things to be possible you learn of more potentials. You learn of more places where you can see yourself carving out a space for yourself in the world. And it only makes sense that your direction and goals should change because oh, of that. Of course, so there's always a weird, there's a weird identity thing with music. That's the, that's the dangerous part of being in love with it is that it does, it remora. It's like, the, if you say your ego is a shark, there is a remora and that's, that's on the bottom of it. And that is music. Like music sticks to your ego so it's weird, like all of a sudden where you're like, uh, well, I'm going to spend these two months that I'm home, not really practicing. I'm actually going to spend it simplifying. And now I'm just going to be the smartest, simple guitar player anyone's ever heard.
0: Okay. All right. That's interesting. That's an interesting yeah. kind of shift in focus. Because yeah, I, As it should be. It's And everything does change. And mm-hmm. I think I think time with the instrument is honestly the like one of the biggest takeaways from what you said because i i i haven't really intentionally practiced in a very very long time at least not Where you not, sit down not, and just not, let
1: the muse take you
0: yeah, yeah i just sit down with a bunch of gear and and just get weird with it and i have gotten a lot better i'm still not that good but i've definitely gotten substantially better over the last well basically since this podcast started i've gotten i'm a way better bet. player now than i was when i first started this simply I because i've put so putting in more time with the, with the instrument and actually kind of caring about it more than just, I mean, I've always cared about it deeply, but caring about it more than just like, I want to make noise and fuzz sounds, blah, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's like, Oh, what what about textures and nuance and different, you know, I'm just a much different player than I used to be. So it's, it's, it's good to hear that it's mostly, it's mostly just work (laughs) at the end of the day. It's
1: also, it's like Bill Gates, talks about like the only thing he cannot afford is time. And it's like you got like you're spending your time, whether you're whether you see where it's going or not. And Mm -hmm. that is a fact. Absolutely that's a fact for every every human on this earth, regardless of their achievements or lack thereof. And so you might as well track where it's going or at least do your best to steer it. Uh because we take time. Clay Cook from Zach Brown's band told me on my podcast, you take time and you trade it for experience and it's like that is totally the case so i would even like when i'm working on pedals and i'm working on tones i classify that time so if i were to have a transaction sheet of my time i know where it went and i just feel like i get more bang for my buck that way and i can track my progress um yeah yeah yeah
0: that makes that makes a lot of sense All right, well, we're we're winding down to the last few minutes of the episode, and I have a couple of classic questions for you that are uh, that I I ask everybody. So,
1: I want to thank. Did I thank everyone? Though that's crazy that people in the Facebook group actually cared enough to ask me a question. All that means the world. Oh yeah,
0: people are very excited about this episode. I I I don't always get a chance to. uh, Well, I shouldn't say I don't get a chance to. I often forget to ask the group for questions uh, when I have a guest coming That's on because yeah, my brain's not that. not that smart. Uh, so I just forget sometimes. <laughs> but also, I'm also a bit paranoid about it because the first few times I did it, I had some guests I was really excited to talk to and I knew that people yeah. in the group would be familiar with them. Mm-hmm. And then I, every time I would ask a question, I'd get a bunch of questions and then something would happen and we'd have to reschedule or something. And then those podcasts just eventually never happened. And so I got kind of uh, like suspicious about it for a while. It, I think we've broken the cycle. I've, I've done it. I've done it a few times recently and we've been able to pull it off. So I'm starting to be less scared of the, the curse of the questions. Um, but yeah, anyway, <clears throat> um, excuse me. Sorry about the cough. Uh, yeah. classic questions. Here we go. This is just two classic questions. The first one being is what is your favorite boss pedal? The,
1: uh, the, the pink delay one with the nice chip. Oh, the DM2. Yes.
0: Mm, it's a good choice. I like that one a lot myself. That is a great pedal. You great like question. You like the classic one or the, the new Wazicraft version?
1: Better? The Wazicraft. I love the Wazicraft. Uh, again, going back to not having friction for anyone who consumes anything you do. Genius move on boss's end. Oh yeah. So they don't have to go buy some pedal that has some terribly shitty nine volt adapter that's all broken in the back (laughs) for too much money you know what i mean and there's just been years of velcro removed from the back of it so it's just like that's all the old boss pedals i've had have been that way i actually have an old brian wampler modified boss uh i guess it was a two and um it was before he really launched wampler in a big way and so that physically is my favorite boss pedal but in a general sense it's that, yeah, I think that whatever delay model you mentioned.
0: Yeah, good, <clears throat> good call. Good call. All right. Oh, there this one kind of ties in. This is actually going to end up being a little bit of a two-parter because I forgot cool. about one of the, the questions in the group. But we'll go with the classic question first, and then we'll go to the last question. Yep. So th- this is uh, this is the big one. This is the pe- the one that people get real fired up about. What okay. is your favorite kind of pizza?
1: Oh. So I recently stopped being a vegan. Um, okay. So every pizza, uh, <laughs> R- Ruka's pizza from Seaside Heights, New Jersey, the town where I spent all my summers growing up. That pizza is my favorite. Pizza is like Elton John, where it's like it's in your memories of childhood and life. And so I I liken like pizza to like a specific place. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, because they're from a they're from a specific part of Italy that. Does a certain thing with your sauce and a certain arrangement of the ratio, and it just works very well. So yeah,
0: got it. Very good choice. All right, and then this—can I change my answer to? Oh, you to, sh- my,
1: to Michael Scott and and say Sabaro? Yeah, like <laughs> if I'm in New York.
0: Well, it's a classic New York slice, of course. Yeah, <laughs> <That's a> good... <laughs> this might this might tie together. So Emily Harris, who who has her own podcast called Get Offset, everybody should check that out. But uh, nice. she she asked, "Have you ever had Donato's Pizza?"
1: oh of course i have yeah okay in uh in in bowling green kentucky yeah they they could they they bring pizza boxes whenever i play there to the show nice that's it's awesome a big deal. Yeah. yeah i love donato's <laughs> pizza yeah
0: i've just recently discovered it there isn't one around my neck of the woods so that's kind of a bummer but mm-hmm. maybe next time i'm yeah. in that area we can we can do it yeah that'd be great well, this is your chance to tell the listeners whatever you want to tell them. This is uh, your chance nice. to just put up a billboard or leave them with a thoughtful I, comment or whatever you want to say. Here's your chance.
1: Nice, thank you. Uh, I would just say go check out my content on Instagram, uh, TikTok. I have an email list where we do free tabs every month. Uh, the Cosmic Country Club. Um, that's on my website. Spotify. I have a new. I have a new single coming out on December twentieth. Um, uh, and my podcast, The Lost Highway. I would like. I think that everyone who listens to this podcast would very much so dig that podcast. Um, yeah. but Instagram is the place. I post something on there pretty much every day. Facebook as well. Nice. Um, the only platform I'm really not on is LinkedIn. I'm on pretty much everything else. Sweet. So check me out everywhere. Sweet, sweet, sweet. And that's it. Lost Highway and
0: subscribed. I and
1: subscribe must. thank you youtube YouTube's big for me and touring i'm just everywhere
0: nice 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 you're grinding hard i like it i like that a lot thank you. all right everybody for daniel this is blake and as always folks good luck and good tones all right we did it there's another one in the can all right i love it i love it when the plan finally comes together I also love it when I hear about people like him who are obviously phenomenally talented naturally, but it made me so much happier to know that he just put in all that work. So it's like, okay, all right, well, you know, he deserves it. (laughs) It's kind of a funny thing, you know, we we tend to think that people just have it or they don't and it's, uh, it's usually a lot of hard work that goes along with it and it's nice to see somebody who works that hard and gets to that level and still has such bigger aspirations. It's really, it's really cool to see somebody that's just a grinder. I like, I like people who grind. It's a, it's something I can relate to. So yes, uh, check out his podcast. I've been listening to it. It's really good. It's called Sonic Highways. It's there on iTunes and all that jazz goes, go hit subscribe. I literally subscribed like I did when I said I did there on the show. It's uh it's a great show. I've been really enjoying it and it's, He's talking with some very high-level people about very high-level musical concepts, and it's really cool to get a peek behind that curtain and into that brain. So, All right, you've given me enough time. Thank you so much for listening this week and every week and all the other weeks. It's crazy that this year is almost over. 2019's almost over. 2020, NAMs coming up. Oh, yeah, I probably should say something about that. I'm going to be there, so come say hi. I'll probably be hanging out at the... Uh, Stringjoy booth a lot with my buddy Scott over there. We've got some things cooking. Hopefully we can show you, I hope. Ah, I've been saying that for a long time. I hope it's real this time. Ah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. But we'll see. We'll see. Things are still a little bit up in the air. But I will be there. That is not up in the air. Well, I will be up in the air. I'll be flying in a plane. But, you know, anyway. Make sure you come say hi. I'll be around. I'm sure I'll see a lot of familiar faces. And, uh, yeah, I'll be hanging around the pedal section pretty much the whole time because that's what I do. So, yes, don't don't be a stranger. If you see me wandering around, say hello. I'd love to talk to you. And we're not doing an official pizza party this year. I've just got too many plates up in the air, too many things juggling, and it's just not going to work out. But we might do some sort of, like, maybe, you know, Thursday night, like, meet up somewhere and, and hang out and eat type of thing. I'm not really 100% sure yet. This this year's really crept up on me before I had a chance to plan things as as thoroughly as I would have liked to. But we'll do something. There will definitely be pizza eaten somehow, some way, and I'd like you to be there. So come say hi and all that jazz. I'll see you at Nam. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you.